Welcome to the SaaS Ad Lab podcast, where we into the stories of SaaS founders, entrepreneurs, and CEOs. My name is Luis. I'm the founder of Phantom Agency, a digital marketing agency specializing in scaling SaaS companies. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing Martin. He is the founder and CEO of Seisho. Thank you so much for being today, being here today. It's a pleasure having you. And to kind of get rolling, why don't you just tell the audience, you know, a little bit more about your background. How did you get started with tech? And really, what was the main driver to start the company? Great. Well, thank you, Luis, for having me on here. Uh, pleasure to be here. It, it, it was a journey to get to where I am with Extatio, which I co-founded with two others. Um, I spent uh, more than 10 years in a variety of in- industries, four years at Microsoft, six years at McKinsey and Company as a management consultant, and one year at the World Health Organization. And at the end of that, what really moved me was I wanted to work on something that would make a difference for people, mm-hmm. um, which started out as well-being and a bit of employee experience. And then I said, hey, it would be great to focus on something real-time, but focus on a set of people where I've experience in and who I believe are deeply in need of a better working experience. And that turned out to be sales professionals. And when we founded Extasia, the, the goal was, how can we make the lives of these people better and more fulfilling, but also at the same time help them improve their performance? Mm-hmm. And Extasia does exactly that. We help improve the performance of sales individuals through customer insights. And with our approach, we've been able to increase sales by 89%. Wow. That's and engage customers on um, who, who partake in sort of this customer insight approach of 63%. So beating sort of any standard email or, or website follow-up, net promoter score, et cetera. So at this stage, we are starting our second year. We've had successes with successful pilots so far, great results, and are really looking to scale it to, you know, address what is one in nine employees and really help them deliver better in their job, but also help them develop as an individual to get more out of their job. That's awesome. So how did you, from being at Microsoft and McKinsey, where did that, you know, the entrepreneurial kind of bug click where you said this is what i need to do how did that happen yeah good question i always did entrepreneurial things already back to my undergraduate i would find student clubs uh at microsoft i would found various initiatives i started i was part of a starting team called the the server market intelligence team or strategy team that rolled up to the now satya nadella ceo Mm -hmm. and at mckinsey i also drove very many initiatives but it really wasn't until I had a life-changing event, i.e. the birth of a daughter, when I said, hey, <laughs> well, you could argue at that point you want more security. But I decided, <laughs> I also ended up moving at that stage. I said, you know, now is the perfect time. If I want to be a present father uh-huh. and be the father I want to be, then I also want to be the work professional I want to be. And actually yeah. the two combine quite well. And so I said, hey, for me, now is this defining moment. So when sort of everything was changing around me, I decided to change with it. That's crazy. And and like you, I think you said it really, really well, right? Like that's usually when people try to find the most secure type of outlet or whatever you want to call it to make sure that you have the means and everything, you know, to, to provide a, a good quality of life for your, for your new, you know, your newborn child. But um, I also think, you know, in, in the sense, because you've been an entrepreneur, like you said, for, for a long period of time now, you know that usually, and I think people like you and I, and really anyone that's building businesses, like obviously like risks are always there, but you almost know that when things get really hard, you know that 
it's it's almost what pushes you, especially if you have somebody else that now is completely dependent on you. You know that you're gonna make it happen because of that that exactly. sole reason. Um, so that's really really cool. So as far as actually getting clients for Extatio now, what are the main things that you or your team are currently focusing on to start? You know getting in front of the people that essentially could be the perfect customers for you. Yeah. So I think, uh, I guess a couple of things and <clears throat> part of it actually employs or part of the, the strategy is to work with the likes of you, but uh, a couple of things, I think, you know, if I think about three types of sources of business for us, one, we do follow the predictable revenue model. So we do believe in targeting and be a sort of predictable prospecting ideal customer profile and just reaching out to companies where we have you know no connection with whatsoever mm-hmm. um that, that that's one way and using the the success examples we've had today right we've had success examples in the logistics industry in the automotive industry in the well-being industry so that makes it easier to target companies in that space the second one and and you know with that also um i would say we have an opportunity to really more quickly scale our business. The second one is the sort of traditional marketing um, using search engine optimization, search engine advertising, you know, the likes of your product to also use that avenue. It's something we're not doing as much just of yet in terms of where we are in terms of scaling it. We're of course getting the back end up of that successfully. Right. The third one is sort of our own networks. You know, the benefit of having um, worked at some of the places you've met certain people and, uh, often like-minded people tend to have similar sense of purpose or ideas. And so they're also great ones to realize, Hey, this is actually something I've never heard about. This could work. And I like what it does for the people on my sales team. So those are the, the three areas we're targeting. And we started with our first big pilot uh, project last summer. And we are working with five company now's and, and we are really looking to scale uh, here in 2020. Very, very cool. What is the first thing that people will ask you about your product? <laughs> uh, well, some people ask where the name comes from. Some people ask, how exactly does it work? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe just to focus on the second one a bit. Um, you know, uh, customer insights or insights is another word for feedback. And sales is a, is a profession that hasn't changed much. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were to ask, athletes around how valuable they find feedback hugely take a golfer take a tennis player take formula one take football they're so or baseball they're so data rich it's incredible imagine those professionals saying you have no access to data people will go insane yeah or businesses right we talk about search engine advertising google analytics right it is so data driven but when you talk to salespeople and you ask hey how many insights are you collecting on a personal level and are you asking customers regularly to figure out what you could do differently with them or do in the next one? It's usually silence or it's one off and people kind of keep doing the same thing they've been doing, basically not improving, which is, which is a very counter to that. So when we get the question kind of how it works, I sometimes make these analogies, but I say, Hey, it basically means that as part of your sales process, you start asking, customers real time for their perspective on your engagements to understand from a sales perspective. So sales stages, sales competencies, Mm. exactly what you're succeeding in, what could you be doing better and how you can turn that around, including having the options for coaching and training to realize those changes. Mm. But it is a question we get because it seems so intuitive 
and at the same time people are wondering well what is it and then they i understand. think that's the reason why right like it, it's like it seems so simple that i feel like people naturally want to over over it and it's and i feel like it happens all the time uh with, with a lot of different products just because it almost goes to say you know like you created a really good product and then people are trying to find ways to to just yeah. not figure it out exactly <laughs> but um so as far as like you mentioned, you know, you had a couple of big pilots. What does that mean? And I'm not talking of revenue of any means yeah. or anything like that, but really how many employees, how many sales, you know, reps does a company have to have in order for the product to actually move the needle? Well, the, if I think about our focus, I think it starts with the very small companies. Um, I would say, especially very small companies, you take two people in a startup, both of whom I'm guessing ha aren't sales experts, or if mm -hmm. they are, they haven't had more than five years of experience, all the way to the big ones. So it can make it can move the needle already for the the small ones. Okay. Um. Yeah. And how? Like, is there is there a certain number of maybe sales calls that people have to be having in order to use a product, or is it going to be? I guess the, the question I'm trying to get to is how many calls should I be making? You know, on a daily basis for the products to be worth the time. Yeah, I think, well, the great thing is your first feedback will already generate a lot of insights because you're always learning something new. And that also speaks for the fact that why should you still use it a year later? Every new meeting you have, every new interaction, you may be smarter and become more self-aware or realize things more quickly. Like, oh man, I, I don't think that's going well because right. you learn to correlate body cues and languages and outcomes with, uh, with, with actual scores. But certainly... You know, we had users that were using it, you know, in, in most of their meetings and 20 times a month or so. So regular users, I would say. And these people, of course, had a much deeper understanding and sophistication than, than the rest. And of course, their ability to, to do even better was, 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 was much higher. So when we talk about an 89% sales increase, um, that's very much related to these types of people uh, driving that type of impact. I'm also thinking about a company we worked with. Um, they only had three salespeople. They're in the logistics business. There's, they're an international um, startup out of Asia um, that's now scaling here in Europe. Three people, but this was great for them to figure out a brand new industry. They're sort of, they have a disruptive technology and logistics really hasn't been disrupted in, in, in that sense for this specific mm -hmm. aspect to figure out how are we doing with our approach and our way of selling with very traditional old school type of, of customers that have never seen anything like this and have been doing the same thing for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, uh, the initial feedback was good. The third thing I would say, kind of talk about two things I think that's helpful is that you also need continuous feedback as you change your approach. So you mm -hmm. need enough feedback to go through enough of cycles i mean it's just the lean startup methodology if you will mm -hmm. it's great to use it once but the moment you do a change you would want additional feedback and additional feedback right. until you get to a point where you feel i have a pretty good self-understanding and then the final thing i'll say and i'm dragging on here a bit but is the great thing about asking feedback it's not just about the insights you gain it's about the type of relationship you create yeah i it's think it's been shown think... yeah go ahead yeah I think that, that, you know, just the fact that you're asking a question of how are we doing yes. is already, you know, creating a, a bigger sense of, I don't know, I don't know the right word, but maybe a purpose of like you actually wanting to help somebody instead of just trying to get a sell out of them. Exactly. It makes it human, right? So open up right. and be vulnerable. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. What is, 
the hardest thing you found as far as managing a team? As managing a team? Yeah, good question. I've probably managed over 50 teams just because, you know, at McKinsey, you have so many projects. So I manage a lot of teams. I manage a division of 20 people at the World Health Organization. I mean, it's, but what's really different around managing a startup team is. That was going to be my, my, my second question is what is the difference between uh, a well-established company that's been around for years and coming here and starting your own company? Do you think that managing a team at a, say, McKenzie was yeah. helpful to you in actually, you know, managing your startup and, and how does that affect the culture that you try to create at Extatio? Yeah. That's a good question. It's definitely been helpful to have had the experience I've had. I think what's difficult in the startup is the people that it draws at the beginning have a very varied skill set and now need to do a lot of things they have never done before. Mm -hmm. So they, they need to be able to, to ramp up. They need to deal with ambiguous things. And I think managing those insecurities and those development areas while still moving, uh, moving at a fast speed and while keeping sort of people upbeat and happy because that's what they expect when they join a startup is actually one of the most difficult things because it means by default that it's not always going to be easy. I don't know what your experience has been, but my experience has because of those types of profiles and because of the, the, the hiccups you, you, you hit, you know, there's a lot of times, especially a startup is difficult enough where you really need to spend a lot more time developing, deal with difficult situations, deal with setbacks. And there's a, when you're working for the likes of Microsoft, things are always going smoothly. There are a few things to worry about and a startup is very difficult and you as a manager need to manage all those adverse events. Mm -hmm. Luis, are you, do you have a similar experience at, at your startup um, with your people or? Yeah, I would say so. I think just, it's not even that things move faster. I mean, in a way they, they like, things definitely seem to move a lot faster when you're in the startup position than when you're at a, you know, well-established company where everybody knows exactly what they have to go in to do and things like that. But like, I think both move just as fast. It's just, like you said, the ambiguity, you know, like not everybody knows what they need to be doing and like, like that. And, and also when things come up, you still need to figure out what is a priority, what takes, you know, precedence over something else. Whereas if you go to McKinsey or Microsoft, like they figured that out years ago. And, and if you can't take care of it, like there's hundreds of people that can hop in and help you that maybe have been in that same yeah. position before. Whereas if you're in the startup, like it's on you and you got to figure it out because your other friends, you know, turning off uh, a different fire somewhere else. <laughs> so it's just exactly. running, running around and stuff like that. Um, you, you, you brought something up, you know, that I think is interesting as far as the culture goes and, and people, and I think it's true. It's people want to like be excited, right. When they do want to start like, Oh, I'm doing a technology company. It's going to be awesome because I see Google yeah. has napping yeah. rooms and stuff like that. How do you deal with that sort of mentality? I think one of the important things at the beginning is to say that, you know, that fun and, and success is of course part of what we want, but it needs to deal with the other elements too. And to level set people that the things they see on TV and that they watch when they watch Silicon Valley and HBO or similar shows, that these companies are much further, heavily VC backed yeah. and they deliver a great experience, but that 
that type of culture often also doesn't end well, right? Companies mm-hmm. go bankrupt, companies go through problems, you know, not all that glimmers is shine. Right. So I think expectation setting at the beginning is, is very important. And I think also in terms of interviewing, one big thing I've learned is a lot of people love the idea of joining a startup, but going for low salary, sometimes no salary, going for a long time without major success factors can be pretty tolling on people. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame these people, but it's important to, in the interview, make sure that you're not hiring somebody who's going to have a honeymoon phase, but somebody who's really thought through of the benefits and risks and is intrinsically motivated and in it for a deeper sense of purpose and fulfillment mm-hmm. than just this, I'm going to join a startup, have a lot of fun, and maybe I'll be a millionaire in a year or two. Right. And especially, I feel, among the younger millennial generation that, uh, that, that I'm seeing this a bit more. And also, maybe to some degree, if I compare generations, people feel, you know, by joining a few months in that they have to do a few things only and then they are, uh, you know, they can partake in the win. And yeah. the problem with that is it's also the difference between a founder mindset and employee mindset, right? They often don't know all the stuff I'm dealing on the back end. Yeah. Me having foregone salary, invested my savings, et cetera, right? It's, a, it's this dichotomy also. So really trying to set expectations, just be transparent with people around what it takes. and. Uh, you know, asking them in interviews uh, to make sure that uh, when they do join, they're ready for this this journey, which will be fun in the end, but it's going to be a roller coaster ride to get there. What is the hardest thing that has happened throughout your journey? Uh, and this could be, I, I'll ask that question again later, but for uh, on a personal basis, but as far as like, you know, company slash business, what's been like the biggest setback that you've had so far? And it's just like, you, you didn't even know what to do. Mm. Well, I think one setback has been, but this is probably similar to others. I will say <clears throat> how just how long sales cycles are in a B2B SaaS world of six months. Mm-hmm. I dramatically underestimated that it would take so long from a first reach out until you have a contract signed or you're starting that it would be so long. And, and especially in a time where you're burning money as a startup and you're trying to prove results, this is difficult and you are sort of scrambling a bit around okay, how can I do a shortening cycles, get additional leads, grow my revenues? So I would definitely say that has been uh, one of the most difficult things. And we've, of course, made huge headway, but just like any startup, man, there, there's a long way to go until you reach really the scale-up mode where you're dealing with you know, a couple of hundred clients, let's say, and multiple million in annual recurring revenue. Right. So that's been the toughest for us. Yeah. And to kind of shift over into more of a personal kind of life, I think uh, some of these questions are the ones that really, you know, take people back and and make them, you know, think about entrepreneurship and stuff like that. But when, you know, I'm assuming that you're married uh, since you just had your little girl, what was, you know, what was the hardest thing when you told, I think, your wife uh, or your partner, um, you know, when you said, I'm going to be leaving my my uh my job to start a to start a company what was that like well the 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 funny thing is my wife is also a founder and uh, has her own startup and had been in this before so she inspired me a bit you know when you actually asked earlier what what got you into this one thing i totally forgot is my wife has been quite inspirational and i think that's awesome seeing her make the leap of faith (laughs) you know inspired (laughs) me to do the same so i gotta uh, do it too yeah exactly um so I think that was one, and 
I think the great thing for me has been is it's been a, it's really been a fantastic ride. You know, I wanted to be a present father. I'm a big believer, you know, in terms of productivity, deep work, etc. So I work relatively normal hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I spend time from 5:30 to 7 p.m. every day with my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I take her to daycare most cares uh, most most days, and uh, it really has created an extremely healthy uh, lifestyle and fulfilling job where. You know, even hypothetically, even though we're doing okay, imagine we're bankrupt tomorrow. I would have zero regrets. You know, it's like I've had one of the most fulfilling lives ever. And with that mindset, by not defining myself based on the output, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to judge myself on whether we, let's say, make it big, get sold, or whether we fail. But I will define myself every day by how fulfilled was I by the daily experience. And I think for me, that's what's made entrepreneurship so amazing. I've already had one of the best years of my life. And, uh, you know, it can only keep going. That's awesome. That's, that sounds like a, like a good, like a good journey so far. Um, if you could do one thing, uh, you know, today to, to, to move the needle, what do you think that would be and how would you go about it? I would love to get more specialists or experts um, involved. So whether it's certain types of sales, whether it's search engine advertising, the world has become so complex and we also live in a world where there's so much information available. So technically you don't have to repeat failures of others. You should be able to figure it out much more quickly. Mm. I would love to find ways to adopt products and get insights from people and start doing things more quickly the right way and do things that really help me improve my performance, mm-hmm. which if I think about Xstation is exactly what it does. Having a tool like ours, even, you know, just you have something that helps you immediately and just having access to that, to, help us perfect each of the domains, all the functions that we're dealing with from fundraising to sales, to partnerships, to marketing, to, I mean, you name it, mm-hmm. they, they are all highly intricate things in themselves. And I think the faster you can get better at those and the more quickly, the more likely you'll succeed as a startup. So fail fast, fail, fail forward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of startups, you know, they all read the same books and I've read a lot of the books and the books <laughs> are great, but there's too much of still then making the same mistake. And I think part of it is that I feel, I don't know how you feel, Luis, but people sort of think, okay, I got it. Let me do it. And then fall into the, the trap of making the same mistakes versus, you know, do you have mentors and people accompanying you who are actually making sure that you are doing it the right way? Right. Because there's a reason all these companies made these mistakes the first time. It's just human nature to fall into some of these traps. So mm-hmm. you need people to keep you honest. You need to be exposed to best practices. This is sort of what I would say. That's awesome. Do you have, I mean, I'm asking this because you mentioned that you have read a lot of books out of uh, what, out of the books that you've read so far, which one's your favorite? Oh, which one's my favorite? Uh, well, I'm just, I read quite a few books. I think in terms of sales, I try to read a book every week or two. Some That's of the best a fast books, reader. Yeah. Well, you know, there's so much knowledge out there builds on the point, but some of the best sales books I've read is the challenger sale. I know it's a bit older, Okay. But the challenger sale really sort of changed how people think about sales, and it's mm-hmm. quite well known. Daniel came. Daniel Pink came out with a book, "The Sell Is Human," also some time ago, which is gives you some provocative things. For example, he talks about if you sell to serve somebody else, you can increase sales by fifty percent. If you approach sales, for example, he also writes, and this is all based on studies. If you take a curious approach versus a confident approach, so you may say, "Okay, I'm about to have a big meeting." Can I be successful? It, it gets you in a different 
thought process and saying, I'm going to be successful. I'm going to nail this meeting. 50% difference in performance. It's incredible. Right? So, and then in terms of sort of the way I work, if I take the book Deep Work, I don't think it was the best well-written book, uh, but the concept of being productive in your day, and this is for you or the people you work with, mm -hmm. I think has, has, has been phenomenal. And this is also a book or this, this type that people should work on themselves to get the maximum out of the day to also you know, live the life that they want to want to live is um, probably one of the other books I would say. Love it, love it. If you could go back and give, or actually, if you could go and give any sort of piece of advice so far of what you've learned to any other entrepreneurs, what would that be? Um, I think, it, well, it depends on who this entrepreneur is. Let's say I talked to some people who are younger and what well, means younger, but let's say they have less than five years of work experience. Okay. And my advice to them would be, Hey, if you can start your own business, then great, but there's no harm. You're going to be working 40 years to gain some meaningful experience in your first 10 years, because I can tell you having worked more than 10 years when I started this, it made what I do much easier because I'd done many of the things before I had a network. I'd been exposed to things. I had people who were working in startups who had done the journey myself, who had done the journey themselves. So it makes it almost more enjoyable. Not to say you can't, but a lot of people also have this, oh, I need to start a company, I need to start a company. It's like the average age of an entrepreneur, I believe, when they start their first company is 39, yeah. right? Yeah. So this is one thing I, I tell people, we live a bit in the hype. I know 54% of millennials want to start their own company. But I think if it's about also being successful and being fulfilled, you know, take your time, I think is definitely one thing. And make sure that you acquire as much knowledge and perspective and, and network right. to help you succeed when you do it the first time. Totally. Awesome. Awesome, Martin. And a couple last questions here. Where can people find you online? Uh, Extasia.com. Also LinkedIn, uh, Martin Peters. Uh, if you type that in plus Extasio, you should be able to find me. We'd love to hear from you guys. Awesome. And last question. Do you have any questions for me? Yes. I mean, Louise, based on the companies you've talked with, if you think about the power of customer insights, what benefit do you feel something like this brings to sales teams or even your own sales for that matter? I think clarity, right? Um, I think it's something that, and like just having, because a lot of the times that, you know, what we do and by we, I mean, people is we assume things. And yeah. I've actually been reading this book called talking to strangers by Malcolm Gladwell, one of my favorite yeah. authors, yeah. Uh, super interesting book. It's very it talks a little, it goes off of like a lot of story, you know, but it's, I think it's a good message and it's really, we don't really know anybody, especially with sales, right? Because there's a lot of communication. A lot of the times nowadays it's over the phone. Uh, you don't see people, maybe it's on a, on a call like this, right? With yeah. a conference yeah. uh, on online, but it talks about, you know, the fact that people don't really know strangers. And, and a lot of the time, especially that first touch point with someone, you know, I like, like, for example, I don't know you Martin right now. And, and then like, just from like, you know, being a human, um, I could be making a lot of assumptions on how you feel about the yes. podcast just by looking, you know, at your facial expressions, expressions yes. and, and whatnot. But matter of fact, like a lot of those things are incorrect, uh, because we just don't know people. So I think, you know, actually like, Hey Martin, how do you actually feel about the podcast? Yes. Would be, yes would be way, way more clarifying than me just, okay, going back to my desk and, 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 you know, 
uh, just right now. I think this is how he felt uh, about the podcast. So I think it's just going to bring a lot of clarity. It's going to help you actually understand, you know, how people feel about the product you're selling, about the, maybe the pricing structure that you provided yeah, exactly. them, whatever it may yeah. be. Um, so I think that would be like the number one thing that people can get from something like Stacio is, you know, clarity and understanding on how can I actually start approaching people better. And I think where it really starts to get interesting, and I think it's something that we actually did not talk about, but the the aggregate data, right? The, 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 the statistical significance yeah. of everything that you're getting from this tool, because if I ask you or if I ask three people, I'm going to get three different answers and I don't know what's actually, you know, what it, what is it um, that's making the difference? So I think there's, there's, there's definitely a lot of value in a product like yours. Great. And what do you think gets people to move to realize that clarity is what they need? That's a great question. <laughs> um, I think maybe in, in some sort of way, you know, showing them that they don't actually know or that assumptions are typically incorrect uh, would be a good way because it's, it's, it's like, you know, how do you show someone that they don't know what they don't know? Yeah. Uh, so it, it gets a little complicated there, but I think if you have the right, like if you're able to explain that and articulate that in, in a good way and if you can visualize it, I think that would be even better. Right. Super. Luis, thank you so much for having me uh, on the show tonight. Thank you so much, Martin. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you, and we'll catch you next time. Likewise. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye.